Well, welcome to our habit series this morning. When you came in, you should have received one of these habit guides. If you did not get one this morning, you can grab one on your way out on the table out in the atrium. This guide is going to help us over the next six weeks leading up to Easter. It's just a way for us together to find some peace, get our priorities more balanced, um, just find some more time with the Lord to get to know God better. And so this guide is going to um, help us out through that. Many of these practices that are in this guide have come from the Bible and they date back thousands of years. And we have a very unique experience here at Horizon to get to see one of those come alive right before us. So I want to introduce two men to you. If I could have Skylar Hensley and Jason Marr come on up. Can we give them a nice warm welcome? So in the Old Testament book of Numbers, we learn about a very specific practice called the Nazarite vow. And this is basically where um, it's like a process where a man or a woman can come up with a very unique way that is unique to them to dedicate something to the Lord, to God, as a way to sacrifice something to say, thank you, God, for what you have done. And so these two right here are going to go on this Nazarite vow for the next six weeks, so that's the unique period of time during Lent, to, um, to show their dedication to God by they're not going to shave their faces and they're not going to cut their hair for the next six weeks. And then what happens is, I know, we went, ooh, we had our, ooh, did you hear that? So what will happen is, at the end of these vows, the church community often had a chance to get to see that vow acted out. So on Sunday, March 29th, these two men are going to come back looking very different, and we are going to give them a nice close shave, and we are going to buzz their hair right here in front of you, because we're going to get to see this lived out. So take a good look at them, because they're going to look a lot different in about six weeks, all right? Thank you, guys. Good luck with your vow. Can we give them a round of applause? So we just saw in the video that a habit can be formed or broken if a unique reward is involved. Okay, so if there's a reward involved, we can either break a habit or we can make a habit. And we want to illustrate that this morning through a little friendly competition here in the chapel. Are you guys up for it? We have teams coming in to offer uh, some rewards and candies to the left-hand side. Uh, The rest of you will watch in shame because you did not... Because there's not only a reward of candy, there's a reward of knowing that we are winners. And that was a big reward as well. If you're here with us today, first of all, you'll notice that I am not Ken Kington. Uh, Ken uh, called me last night at midnight. He is stuck in Philadelphia. And so that was my cue that I need to work on a message last night at midnight. And hopefully the reward is something worth listening to by the time we're done. Today we're talking about a discipline called simplicity. And it's something that's totally countercultural. In fact, we went to Belize a couple years ago. I remember a guy who owned several businesses here in uh, the area. And he said, I'm so struck by the people in Belize. They live such simple lives. It's so stress-free. I wish I had more of that here in Indian Hill. Another group of women went with a group to uh, Monterey several years ago. And as they were interacting with the orphans, The orphans heard them talk about how stressful and how difficult and and how the pressure we live under here in the Western world. And as the women were heading back to uh, America, uh, several orphans turned to the women on our team and said, I feel so bad for you guys going back to all that stress. And she was like, oh, my goodness, that is the persona we give off because we live these complicated lives. 
And so today I want to talk about a concept or a principle, really, um, that is this discipline of what we want to call the discipline of simplicity. And it's this. When I accumulate less, I can actually eliminate stress. Now, this is so countercultural because we don't eliminate less, right? We pack our schedules with stuff. We put more and more pressures. We pack our hearts with obligations and burdens and expectations. And, and we have a tendency to think that happiness comes from more instead of thinking less stress comes from accumulating less, creating some margin in our life, creating some lack of clutter in our life. So I want to look at these ideas of the cue, the routine, and the reward. We have a culture that's continually cueing us. You're unhappy. You're discontent. You don't have what you want. And the routine that is set up by our culture is you need more. Pack your schedules more. Put more in. Pack more in. There's a little sliver here. And so we pack more and more into our lives. And the reward is we're busy, right? Nothing better than somebody comes and say, how you doing? And what's most people say when you ask how you doing? Busy. And busy in our culture means I'm important because I'm busy. But, you know, if you asked my hamster when I was a kid if they were busy, he was always busy. Every day he got up and he ran around in that thing and he drank and he pooed and he ran around that thing and he drank and he pooed. He was busy. And there's a psychological reward in our culture that says if you're busy, you're important. So how do we change that cue? Well, one of the things we do is we take that routine and just modify it a bit. We modify it to so instead of being busy accumulating more, say, I want to start getting busy accumulating less. And there's a particular cue that's been in the church calendar for hundreds of years, and it was called Lent. And it was a time that cued people who were either thinking about uh, God, had been devout God followers, or were those who were just sort of tapping into new levels and said, we want to use this cue in your calendar to remind you to take some time to think about stepping back and get busy thinking about how you might accumulate less. What am I going to give up during this time? But it was more than just giving up something. It was saying, I want to pursue something. I want to give up one thing so that I can achieve a more stressless life. I can have more peace in my life. I'm not even sure if God exists. I'm not even sure if, if the Bible's true. But I'd like to participate in these healthy habits to see if God might be true, to see if I can engage with him. So we're going to look at changing some of these routines because our culture, if you're like me, my typical routine as I look at my life is this. More stuff is always my default, busier schedules, a lack of boundaries, and whether it's my personal life or whether it's the organization, all organizations get increasingly complex. So we need times in our business schedule as well. We step back and say, well, we've gotten so complex how do we simplify and streamline and be more efficient? And the practice of simplicity gives us a time in life and in the season of the year to step back and put this in practice. I find myself many times chasing experiences, opportunities that I don't yet have, even if I don't know why I'm chasing them, except that my routine or habit is more is always better. There was a guy um, named um, I think Richard Bird. Yeah, Richard Bird. He was uh, born in 1888, and in 1912, he joined the U.S. Navy. And this guy is in the um, Explorer's Hall of Fame for his incredible work, exploration of Antarctica and the Arctic area. He was in Nova Scotia for a while. This was a very busy, very accomplished man. Well, as he went down to, I think it was the Arctic or Antarctica, I not which area, that he claimed on behalf of the United States. So this guy was sort of a, a who's who. 
But spending months in the barren wasteland of the Arctic, he just was forced to have more free time. He was forced to have more reflection time. He was forced to live simpler. And he wrote in his journal these words. I am learning that a man can live profoundly. I love that phrase. Can live profoundly without the masses of things. We often buy things we do not need to impress people we do not like. I thought, man, isn't that the truth? We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. And the discipline of simplicity is the time of saying, I've got to figure out why I'm doing these habits, these routines. What's the reward I think I'm getting out of it? Because sometimes I'm accumulating things I don't want or need to impress people I don't like. So what is the reward and what might it look like to reflect and do something differently? So we're going to look at two things today, stress and we're going to look at simplicity. The first one is stress. Stress is a routine that many of us have. I'm so stressed. That's our go-to default of accumulating more busyness, stuff, or anxiety with the cue of our culture that says you're never satisfied. There's a great passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by King Solomon. He was going through a midlife crisis. He had accumulated and filled his life with everything. Accomplishments, uh, rewards, relationships. He tried it all. And this is his journal about why it didn't bring him the satisfaction he wanted. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served by the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. He didn't say there's anything wrong with profit, nothing wrong with land, there's nothing wrong with money. But he said ultimately these things don't fully satisfy. Just the accumulation of more things in your schedule, more stuff in your life, doesn't in of itself lead to the joy or the happiness or reward we're looking for. You think of that interview with Rockefeller years ago where the, the reporter said, hey, how much is enough? You remember his answer? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more will be enough. But when do we find satisfaction and contentment? This isn't just when it comes to material things. Lent can be a time of reflection on the emotional things as well. We, we marry our dream, the man of our dreams, and then we spend the rest of our life trying to change him and make him better. We get that job in the firm that we hoped for and we worked for and we got our education for. And the minute we have that job, a week later, we're focused on becoming partner. We uh, build our dream home. It finally is built. And after about a month of enjoying it, we say, you know, we really need a house out west. We're immediately focused on that next thing. And, and, and part of that ambition is what makes us good at our job. But how do you mix in real contentment and joy with that ambition? We, our kids played fall soccer. We were swamped. We didn't have any time to, to date. We had no date nights for four months. And just as it comes to an end and we're like collapsing from the stress of it, we say, indoor soccer starts in one week. And spring soccer and summer soccer. And, and we keep accumulating more and more into our schedule and we're stressed over it. And yet we keep that same routine. Let's use this as a time and a season of our church to step back and use these habits. Now, some of these habits... It's going to be like the black diamond. So if you're new to spirituality or you're new to pursuing God, I want you to know some of these things are going to be like the easy hills, the bunny hills. Some of these things are going to be like the black diamonds. So we've set this up each week with a different habit. Today we're talking about simplicity. Next week will be sacrifice, self-awareness. And each week gives you five steps. One thing you can do each day that take two or three minutes or less to just begin to practice this simplicity of pursuing God. You might come to one like, for example, fasting. That's the idea of giving up a meal and using those hunger pains as a cue 
Every time your stomach growls, it's a cue to say, okay, God, I'm hungry, but I want, I'm using this, this day, this lunch period, to say I want more of your peace, or I want your help with my family, or I need help in my marriage. And you might say, Chad, I am not giving up food. That does not sound very spiritual at all. So you might say, well, I'm not going to do the Tuesday thing. That's too black diamond for me. This is just a pathway at which you can step back and begin to reflect on where you are and how the journey up to Easter might be a time of you establishing some new habits. So that's the journey we're going to go on. Now, here's what what Solomon mentions here. He says the problem with thinking accumulating more always leads to more happiness is that supply and demand always meet each other. Here's how he says it in the next part of the verse. Stress is the routine of accumulating more demand when you increase your supply of time, energy, and money. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, Now, nor he who loves abundance with increase. In other words, the, the more abundance you have, you just keep increasing it. This also is meaningless or vanity. Why? Because when your goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, the minute you have a second home, the minute you have a third home, a fourth home, the, the more stuff you get, the more uh, things you have, the cars you get, the hot tubs you have, it's just more stuff to fix, more stuff to manage, more people to, to take care of. The management responsibilities, the demand goes up with your supply. And this guy who's right this got incredible supply. And he doesn't demonize the accumulation. He just says what you've got to realize is the more you get, the more stress you have trying to manage it. And for him, he said... But what profit does it have in the owners except to see them with their own eyes? Just, I'm starting to see this as I'm adding stress to my life instead of taking it away. So with that in mind, let's contrast stress from simplicity. Simplicity, instead of always focusing on the next thing, is learning how to enjoy what you have. In other words, I'm now not busy getting what I don't have. I'm now busy learning how to enjoy what I do have. Here's what I put it in the notes. I'm busy enjoying what I have rather than chasing what I don't. There's nothing wrong with chasing. But what if we start enjoying what we already have? In fact, what would the reward be for that? Well, here's what it says in Ecclesiastes. The sleep of a laboring man. The word sleep, the rest, the peace of a man who works hard and enjoys it is sweet. When you find contentment, whether your sphere of influence is this big or this big, the same thing is sweet. I love and am enjoying what I have. Don't you long to enjoy what you have? Simplicity is enjoying what you have. And it is sweet, whether you have a little or a much. But the abundance of rich will not permit him to sleep. When you don't learn to have contentment, the abundance, you're just worried about it all the time. You're worried you've, you get a lot more you have, but a lot more to lose. So what if we began to practice a discipline of simplicity where we say, I'm going to be at busy learning how to enjoy what I already have. I'm going to give you a few steps to do that. Um, but let me give you some cues and some rewards. So the reward or the new routine is this. If you practice or go through this journey with us in the next six weeks, number one, you're going to have margin in your life. Margin is emotional space. It is scheduling space. It is just having a little room here and there to be thoughtful. And the reason you want margin in your life, the reason why God is suggesting margin in your life, not Martians, margin in your life, is because relationships cannot be rushed. Now, how many times have I tried to have a conversation with my, my son or daughter? Hey, Dad, can I talk to you for a second? Sure, can you make it quick? I'll wait later when you can listen slower. Oh. 
One of the reasons we have disciplines in our family, every Tuesday night we have a family movie night. Every Thursday during this season, I take my kids skiing at Perfect North. Every time we have a family movie night, it's not always great. Every time we have a time out to the ski, it's not always deep sharing. But I know if I put a rhythm or a habit of interacting with my kids, it's been seven years now going to Perfect North every Thursday night. And I know on the ride out there or the ride back, one of those times I say, everybody put your phones away. you got to at least talk to Dad during one part of the trip. And on all those rides up the ski lift, hey, how are things going? Any disappointments in your life? That habit or rhythm of creating some space on, on a particular night of a week during a particular season has created space for conversations over the years. Because I know relationships can't be rushed. So I had to create margin in our schedule to have these connection points. The next thing is that or the reward is time to be reflective. We're so busy doing, sometimes we're not reflective or thoughtful enough to ask this question. Why are we doing what we do? Sometimes we just, what, 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 is more, more, more. What if we stood back and said, but why am I doing it? See, margin creates space to answer the bigger questions in life, like what motivates us for what we do. And one of the, the things that helps us with this discipline of simplicity would be, do you remember when you first hired a realtor? We sold our house about 10 years ago. And I remember when we, a realtor comes in, they always do the same thing. We want to help you get the most out of your house, right? We want your reward the most money out of your house. We want to do the most here. So what do you need to do? And they give you a routine. You've got to get rid of half this junk. They go into your closet. This place is a disaster. Let's get rid of half these shirts and half these pants. And they go into your living room and say, you've got way too much furniture here. And you pack your garage up. And you don't let anybody see in your garage. I mean, you didn't do this because you guys are practicing this already. But my garage is full of all kinds of junk. But my house looks wonderful. But you walk in the closet and you're like, it just feels so settled. You walk in the living room and I remember thinking, I'd like to live here. <laughs> because realtors know that simplifying and decluttering creates space. You can just, your, your mind is more at ease, your emotions are more at ease when there's more simplicity in your life. I remember when we were selling our house, one morning, you get a knock on our bedroom door of our kids. <laughs> And we've told them, you don't want to wake up mom and dad. We like to sleep. So we knew it had to be a big deal. So they come in, mom, dad, there's somebody here to look at the house. Look at the house. What, is, what day is it? What, it's Saturday. What time is it? Eight. Oh, my goodness. Uh, tell you what, I'll, I'll put my pants on. You, you uh, get the kids and, and I'll meet them at the door. So we're just, and I'm running in the closet and putting clothes on. Like, is the house even clean? Oh, my goodness. And, and I turned to my son. He was probably, I don't know, eight at the time, maybe six. And I said, well, do you know who it is? He says, April Fool's. Kill that boy. April Fool. That was the best joke he's ever got on me. But it reminded me that what a realtor tells you to do when you sell your home actually creates the home somebody else would enjoy. What if we all, and this is part of the first week's lessons, what if we all hired an imaginary realtor? We began to go through our life and declutter to create space and margin for peace and reflection. Margin is simply... Creating the discipline or habit to enjoy things. The margin space to enjoy what I have. Again, the writer says it this way. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor. Many of us have worked really hard for what we have. We have set goals. We have given long hours. And that has accomplished incredible things. And don't give that up. But are you really enjoying what you have? What if we were just as busy learning how to enjoy what we have as accumulating what we don't yet have? It is good and fitting to enjoy the good of your labor to which you toll under the sun 
all the days of your life and to recognize and to think about the fact that God has entrusted all this to you. There's something powerful about learning to enjoy what you have, whether it's a little or a lot. I remember when we were in a high school, we went to a D.C., went to the Federal Reserve where they print the money. And you could buy for 20 bucks, like $18. Now, why would you spend $20 to buy $18? Well, the, the $1 bills came off the printing press and they hadn't cut them yet. So it was like one, 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 one. But they're all in one sheet. So we bought two sheets, a sheet of dollar bills and a sheet of $2 bills. My dad folded this thing up in his wallet. And for the next year, we had more fun with these $1 bills. Because dad would go into um, a restaurant, and just when we went to pay, he'd pull, pull out his wallet, and he'd pull out these dollars, and they just kept folding. And he had this giant sheet of money, and he would, with a straight face, look at the, the lady or the, the cashier and say, I'm sorry, I haven't cut this batch yet. <laughs> and the look in their eyes... And my parents were certainly not wealthy, but one of the things they taught us is how to find joy and contentment in the little things in life. And then as the sphere of influence increased, that same quality existed. If you can enjoy little things, you can also learn to enjoy great things even more so. So I want to give you the A, B, C's, and D's of simplicity. So here it is. A, accumulate less. There's a severe evil, which I've seen under the sun, riches kept for the owner to his hurt. In other words, are the riches in your life producing what you hope they'd produce, or are they creating a level of stress and complexity that is robbing you of joy? Maybe it's time to begin to step back and say, I need to accumulate less. Now, here's the problem with that. We have a culture who's obsessed with doing the opposite. So if you begin to, to pursue the discipline of this, you're going to feel the pressure that you, you're crazy. And you say, I want it, I want contentment, I want, I want that. But the pressure is, you shouldn't say that. I'll give you an example. I love Cub Scouts. Let me start the story off by saying, I love Cub Scouts. I was a Cub Scout, was involved in Cub Scouts. So I volunteered as a Cub Scout leader for my son's uh, den years ago. And so we had our first meeting. 200 people gathered together. And I was ready to do Pinewood Derby cars. I was ready to do hiking. I was ready to do Cub Scouting things. 200 of us packed in a room and we talked for 20 minutes out of the 40 minutes about popcorn sales. So then they had a leaders meeting and I'm ready to talk about what we're going to do and what we're going to teach the kids. And we talked for about two thirds of the time about popcorn sales. So I raised my hand. I'll never do this again. I didn't know the rules. They said, yes, Chad. I said, well, what if this year we didn't sell popcorn? It was like I walked into a church and said, that, you know, worship Satan or something. Oh, my goodness. We do not do popcorn. Okay. I said, what if everybody pays five extra bucks? We get rid of this nonsense and we just actually do like hiking stuff. <gasps> I mean, the, the air got sucked out of the room because you always do popcorn sales. I talked to another friend of mine who uh, I, every year they were busy. And so one fall I said, well, how, how are things going? They said, awesome. So why are they so awesome? We decided for the first time our kids are not going to do fall sports. Not do fall sports. What about the college they're going to get into? What about the, well, they're not going to get a team? They're not going to get a scholarship? And they're going to be bums? Oh my goodness. And they're like, you know what? We decided we're just going to take one season and not do fall sports. And our kids are loving it. They were so stressed about all the stuff going on. We've created some space and margin. We think we're going to do this every fall. Now, you can already feel the tension, can't you? Oh, we couldn't do that. I'm not prescribing any particular area. I'm just saying the, the pressure from the culture is that anything you want to cut, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. But the discipline of simplicity is saying in a culture that does not in any way know how to cut, 
I'm going to step back and figure out what I might want to cut because I want the rewards of margin and thoughtfulness and reflection and deeper relationships. And that's the first step. We accumulate less. The second step is referenced here by Richard Foster. He says, masses of things complicate our life. They need care and concern and insurance and maintenance and repair. They must be sorted and sorted and dusted and resorted and resorted ad nauseum. So let's make sure the things we accumulate are bringing the joy we hope that they would have. Again, here's the second point. Bask in your bounty. This is hard to believe in a culture that's always focused on your next thing or the missing thing. Almost every one of us, even the poorest among us, the lifestyle we live here in America is what thousands of years of people all over the world prayed for would be considered royalty. The fact that you have any free time is a luxury to most people in the world even today. So we have a bounty in the world's history, but we don't bask in our bounty. We don't enjoy what we have. We're not thankful what we have. We're not like, oh my goodness, we are living what thousands of years of of people in history prayed for and hoped for, and yet we don't bask in it. This is what Ecclesiastes says. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. And I love this again. Are you able to rejoice in your labor, to enjoy what you've worked so hard for, to enjoy the things that have been trusted to you? Because this, the ability to have joy in what you've done, is the gift of God to bask in your bounty. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God, I love this, God will keep you busy enjoying your stuff. So you can be busy accumulating what you don't have or you can be busy enjoying what you do. The discipline of simplicity is a discipline of learning to enjoy what we have, the things around us, the bounty we've already been entrusted with. The second or third aspect of this is creating margin. Creating margin. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil grasping for the wind. Which is a really long-winded way of saying there's two extremes. The fool, he's got way too much margin. He's lazy. He doesn't do anything. But then there's another person who's just so busy grasping after the wind, it's just never enough, never enough, never enough, never enough, never enough. But there's a third way that's not foolish and lazy, and it's not grasping after the wind. The third way is somebody, and look what he says it, who has a handful with quietness, that they enjoy what's in their hand. They're not lazy, mooching off others. They're not so striving over the next thing. They have what they have, and they, with quietness and peace and joy, say, man, I'm enjoying I'm busy enjoying what I do have. What would it look like for you and I to create margin in our life? Margin in our spending. Margin in our scheduling. Instead of always arriving someplace panicked. What if we showed up 15 minutes late so in case there was an accident or in case there was snow or in case there were issues, we just weren't so anxious because we created space. Even when you look at how we do slides, there's space around it, right? If we'd crammed all the words up to here, all the way on the edge, you just feel anxiety from a graphic design perspective because there's no space. The same advertisements that are telling you to fill your life have not filled the page on the TV. They've created margin to entice you to not have margin in your life. 
to look at the advertisement and say, look at all that margin they have. I want some margin in my life. And step back to create margin. And then last is delete more. Delete more. Have a handful. Now, you may have huge hands. Your ability to enjoy might be this much. Somebody else might be this much. Figure out what that is for you. What is the amount that you say, I can enjoy this much? And don't add stuff that's not going to add to that. And most of us in this room are not going to struggle with being the fool and the lazy. We're going to struggle more with the difference between contentment and our ambition driving us to, to accumulate more than what we can really enjoy. So what does it look like to delete more in your life? To sit down and say, what are we going to take out of our time? What are we going to take out of our stuff? What are we going to clean out of our closets? How are we going to make our, 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 our homes and our places livable in a way we enjoy? You accumulate less. You can eliminate stress. That is what the Bible is describing in this idea of um, the discipline of simplicity. I invite the band to come up because instead of just talking about this in the series, we're going to try each week to give us a chance to practice creating some space to think, to be thoughtful, to be quiet, to have some solitude, to have some reflection. And we're going to give you this tool as a way for you to say, if I really want to do this, how would I even start each day, each week, a way to think about how to begin to process solitude and reflection in your life? If you ever listen to my playlist on my phone, I have two songs that are really ironic that I listen to all the time. They're my first two songs. The first one is Alabama, I'm in a hurry and I don't know why. Because I love being busy. And I got a huge capacity. So for me, the time at which I am not enjoying it, I got to really be packed because I really enjoy doing a lot of things. Love it. But often I need to step back and go, yeah, but why am I doing that particular thing versus something else? The next song on my playlist is by the Eagles. And that song is Learn to Be Still. So as I'm driving around all the time, I hear I'm in a hurry and don't know why, which prompts me to go, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then I listen to the Eagles learn to be still as a cue for me to begin to reflect on the noise and the busyness of life. So I'm hoping that this series will be the cue for you to pursue the reward God has for you, to set up new routines, even just for a window of opportunity for four weeks, six weeks, to begin to step back and declutter and deaccumulate to find the kind of peace you're looking for. Because let's face it, the culture is not going to help us do this. Our culture is filled, 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 filled all the time. And it is not encouraging us to learn to be still. So let's take a few moments together and feel what our culture feels like and step back and create some solitude.
Well, I hope this will be a season where you will learn to be still. Now, for many, maybe you grew up and uh, you practiced Lent or you took seasons of your life, New Year's Day, for example, to make a New Year's resolution, you gave up something. But maybe you just gave up something because it was a routine. It wasn't to gain something else. We'll talk more about that next week. What if you use this cue in your calendar to say, I want to give up something so that that could be my reminder every time I see that caffeine or see that sugar or see that meat. That's the cue that, God, I want to use this time to pursue you and the life you've called me to in a new way. To learn to be still. I know for me, my capacity at work is much higher when I'm operating about 90%. That 10% of margin allows me to get a phone call at midnight and say, I need you to speak tomorrow and not be so stressed out that I couldn't take a couple hours and put that together. Now, if I did that every week, every week I was working on my sermons on Saturday night, I'd be a problem. But that margin creates space for uncertainty, for tragedy, for difficulty. So I'll just give us one more moment. I'm going to bow our heads and just ask God for whatever you're going to ask for for the next six weeks. So it might be this, God. I'm not sure you really get involved in people's life. But if you do, I want to ask you to draw near to me as I try and draw near to you. I want, and pick one of these words, more joy in my life. More thankfulness in my life. More peace. A relational breakthrough. To overcome a habit. To overcome an addiction. Or maybe just simply as God, I want a less stressful day to day. God, we're just so thankful of how practical you are. We're so thankful for how real you are. We just ask that this season will be times of church, that we will draw and reach our hand out to you, and we ask that you will meet us where we are, that we'll find that these ancient practices that have been practiced by cultures for thousands of years can actually be implemented into our life, and the reward will be you and everything that you bring with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. We look forward to you continuing the series with us next week as we look at the discipline of sacrifice. Thanks again. If you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes on the way out. If you're new to the church, we'd love to put a name with a face. Third door on your left is the hearth room. Some volunteers and staff there to greet you.